Welcome to Stories of Hope. This podcast segment is part of Michael Crossan's itinerant preaching ministry. The Stories of Hope segments are a collection of interviews from various people from all walks of life who share their stories about how they discovered God's hope and purpose in life's darkest hours. I pray that these stories bless you and encourage you and help you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Hi there, welcome to Stories of Hope. My next guest is a mentor, a great friend of mine, and I am so blessed to have him in my life, and he's helped me grow in my own faith, mature in my own faith. It's Pastor Nigel Begley. Uh, he is an assistant pastor in Whitewell Metropolitan Tabernacle, which is the current church I attend, which is my home church. And he went to Belfast Bible College a few years before me, but I'm not going to tell him his age yet. I'll let him tell him that. And also he was a senior pastor in the church in Wales. So welcome, Nigel, to Stories of Hope. How have you been? Just tell us a bit about yourself. Hiya, Michael. Yes, great to be on your show, by the way. Uh, nice to join you and uh, glad that you're doing so well. And um, yeah, um, life's been pretty good. And um, last week, while everybody else in lockdown, but as you know, I was in Wales for a little while. I was there over uh, 12 years. And then I came back about four and a half years ago to Whitewell. I'm on staff there now for four and a half years. So it's it's been good. I've enjoyed coming back to Northern Ireland. We Northern Ireland after all these years away. So it's, it's been great. And uh, of course, we reconnected and uh, with really good friendship as well. So it's been been good and good times. It's been a great times indeed. So tell us a bit about your upbringing, because you've got a very interesting testimony. And when I heard it, I was just blown away by it. Um, so take us from the beginning. Now, I always ask this traditional Northern Irish Christ, or question. Were you brought up in a Christian home or a religious home or none at all? Tell us. Def, definitely um, a religious home. Um, yeah, my mum definitely. My dad would have had a few issues. Let's just say he's a very angry man. And it's all part of my story. So yeah, I guess you could say it was traditional in a way. Yeah, you could say that for Christian way. Okay. So tell us about your life and your upbringing. Were you sent to church, BB, Sunday school? Just tell us a bit before your life and how yeah. you got into Satanism because that is a journey yeah. in itself. So far away. Yeah, far I think... Away. To, if you're going to tell my story, you, you've got to start um, with my relation with my father, funnily enough, because, yes, we, we go to church periodically and stuff, and um, I'd be forced to go to BB and things like that when I was growing up, and I used to always beak off, uh, bunk off, as we say, and um, they'd leave me off the front door of the church, uh, a Presbyterian church in Carrickfergus. I waved goodbye at the front door, and they'd think I was going to BB, but I'd go out the back door of the church down the shop and spent about an hour and a half down there until BB was over. And I'd come back into the church again, away at the front. And they thought I'd been to the BB all but that time, you know? So there was always a bit of rebellion in me. Uh, but my father uh, and his relationship with me was something that really um, was, was, was dominant, I suppose, in my life when I was younger. He was quite angry. And so I, I saw this man who would go to church and, you know, he would try to preach to me every now and again as well. But he was explosive, he was angry eyes bulging you know what I mean you yeah. know he was very intimidating growing up and for me as a young person I just could not compute this Jesus I heard about with my father and his attitude and actually as I grew you know from obviously primary school age in, in the teenage years and bigger school I went to Belfast Inns and I remember when I got there it, it kind of all got on top of me in a way and I kind of got into like 
depression and and heaviness would, would have surrounded me all because I can look back now and see where the the the, uh, the seed was it was with my father in this relationship that we had where I was never good enough you'd always find fault no matter what I did even the very day that you know a son grows bigger than his dad that very day my dad was really angry because I got bigger than him so no matter what I did I never felt validated by him mm-hmm. I never felt good enough as a human being and it really impacted me so I mean you just think of countless arguments you've no idea how, how, how hard it was and um, so fast forward to my teenage years I know you've got a time limit as well on this program but teenage years and having this argument one day with my father after probably about the fifth one or sixth one that day his eyes are bulging and he's in my face shouting and screaming and getting on and I says right stuff you stuff your God stuff your Jesus stuff your religion if if you're a Christian I want nothing to do with this Jesus you preach about and actually it started something in my heart that really went really dark and cold at that point rebellion is it as the sin of witchcraft as the bible says and at that point i can trace it back it was right there i thought to myself i want nothing to do with god or anything else and it began a journey with me into the dark side of life and you know i was saying stuff you stuff your god and that's the edited version by the way it was much worse than that you can imagine what i was saying in that particular moment totally frustrated and i said that's it and so it began a journey of me looking elsewhere to find contentment in life uh, put it that way and um, getting the new age and, and all that kind of thinking and philosophy and once you get into you dip your toe I didn't just dip my toe into it. I kind of jumped in full you know what I mean right into the deep end if you like and uh, straight to the darks I don't always going through depression it's like Winston Churchill called it the black dog it kind yeah. of hovers around you it's always there mm-hmm. and um it dominated everything. I mean, I was like a manic depressor. I would be in the ball on the floor, bobbing back and forward and stuff. It really affected me. This the kind of steamrollered. And uh, many times I was suicidal, driving in cars, just thinking about driving off the road into a wall or something, you know, and just ending it all. Many times um, it got so far and then I never quite went through it. But every day was constant suicidal thoughts, day in, day out, week in, week out, constant in the background and um and so i tried to make sense of life and i became religious but i came religious in the wrong sense of the words where i went to the dark side of life and i was into heavy metal in those days and it was a very like dark satanic kind of music as well so it kind of you drift into it i just remember making inquiries and and getting books and things and i just got into i felt drawn into it i felt like it's something that was the right thing for me and whenever you're depressed or you're in that place where you're suicidal you kind of lose control mm-hmm. of your environment you feel at at the mercy of, of your of the elements if you like mm-hmm. and getting involved in something like witchcraft for me it's like you're regaining control you could do a spell or an incantation and you regain control of your environment and the things around about you and so the more i read into it the deeper i got into it the more i got excited about it and i was almost like I don't want to like lighten it, but it was almost like those movies you see where the guy goes, oh, the real evil. That's kind of what it was like. I felt drawn into it and um, they got on a very dark When you're in a dark place, you have very dark thoughts. And that's kind of the 
the journey it brought me on. Rebellion, anything but what my, my dad was into. In fact, if you talk about Christianity to me, it repulsed me. I cringed inside. That's how bad it was. So you couldn't speak to me about Christianity. For me, a bunch of punches. That's how I thought about it. You know what I mean? Do-gooders. Mm-hmm. And they're all hypocrites. Yeah. And yeah. so it was just not for me at all. So it brought me in this, this journey towards black witchcraft, what we would call the left-hand path and Satanism. And so, I mean, and it, so even when I ended the witchcraft, I didn't go like the white witchcraft, you know what I mean? They call it like the right-hand path. I went the left-hand path, the deep, dark stuff. And I got into it very quickly and I got enslaved by it very quickly as well. And at the same time, I met this other person who became a good friend of mine. And, um, you know, he and me got into this together. And we, we st- I started by myself. And then he was away in the army and he came back again. I says, mate, I've got something you're going to love. And I kind of got him into it. And so we started this, this coven. But I remember the very, very first time that um, I really did like a ritual. I'm not going to get into too much detail, but to give you an idea of, of what it's like. And I remember um, going into my room in the house and I got bits and pieces and stuff and I blacked out my room and I lit a candle. I just I just felt the spirit to do it. And I says, right, devil, if you really, really want me, I felt this urge to do it. I said, if you really want me, make this flame hit that ceiling up above. And it was the weirdest thing Michael, because yeah. at that very moment, as I said it, the flame whooshed up and it hit the ceiling above me. And it was like this neon blue flame. And instantly I went, you know what? This is serious. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny thing. I felt validated. My own father didn't validate me. But here, through through doing this, this ritual straight away, here was the devil, if you like. And he wanted me to get involved in this side of life. And for me, it was like like he was stamping me, you know, for things that lay in. And yes, I had, I, I was given great promises and everything else. And I became very adept quickly at, at magical you know, rituals and, and all sorts of stuff. So it was very easy for me. I had lots of favor as well. That's the one thing. I had favor. And whatever I did was very successful. When it came to all that stuff and all these promises, I would be a great leader of Satanism and Northern Ireland and all this kind of stuff. And he feeds you a lie, really, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And um, so that was my initial foray into it, if you like. Maybe you have something you want to add or you want to interject that point, Michael? Yeah, no problem. Um, so you start this coven and yeah. you brought a friend, and I take it agree in the sense of. It's and it's evil. Did anyone yeah. else in the area of which he met, or in your family or friendship groups, notice this change, this sort of darkness in, in your life? And when was that sort of changing point? And how long did this last for? Like in this dark place, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, sure it does. I mean, the dark place for me began when I started to, to get depressed and in my teenage years. And that sense, so it started then, but then it just got darker and darker and darker. And um, I, I, I would say, you know, the Bible says there's a way it seems right to a man, but the end thereof is, is the ways of death. This is exactly the road that he was going on. And generally, we hid it from people who were close to us. And then you would look for people who would be, you know, suggestible to it or who would be 
um, the right kind of personality for it. And then you would bring them into the coven or whatever you want to put it as, or a grotto, some people would call it, and you brought them in. And so, yeah, um, then we would start to grow it. And bearing in mind that all these promises, and, and it's funny because in the middle of all this here, here's me, you know, we begin to grow this, this coven, have all these promises and promise great power, have all this favor with the enemy. I could tell you so much stuff, but it's not going to glorify Jesus, you know what I mean? And all this is going on, but all this favor in the middle of it all, in the middle of all that's going on, God brings someone to me. And he's a guy who I, I knew really well. And um, there were certain people I would try to shock, you know, and it just so happened that this guy became a Christian. And um, he had all the, the tattoos and everything else, all the paramilitary tattoos, and he became a Christian. And I saw him and I said to him, you became a Christian. I just knew straight away because he had just totally changed. You know, he was a guy involved with all the wrong things in life. And he became a Christian. And um, of course, I started trying to ask him all the difficult questions of the day as much as I possibly could. You know, I would try to, you know, and just to try and knock his faith and um, I even bring in and show him like, like magical books just to freak him out and stuff, you know what I mean? Just, just to really put the frighteners on him. But he used to just say to me, he just say, Nige, okay, we'll do. I'll go back. I'll ask my pastor the answer to your, your difficult question. And I'll come back maybe, you know, next week and we'll arrange and we'll meet up and we'll talk about it. I'll give you the answer then. And no matter how many times I asked him a difficult question, this guy, I couldn't shake his faith. He had a simple faith. I couldn't shake it. He impressed me more than a philosopher or someone with, with all the degrees going, you know what I mean? This this man's simple faith, and I couldn't shake it, impressed me so much. And um, uh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was funny, and it used to really annoy me as, as well. And he started to invite me to go to church. And bear in mind, the, the, the guy who was like my number two in the occult, and then just to fast forward the story, I'm a pastor now, as you know, as, as you introduced yeah. me as well. But also he became a pastor too. Yes. But at, at that point, and I remember we met up about three years ago. He's a pastor over in England now. Here's what he said these words. He said, do you realize that you and me were like complete psychopaths back in the day? Yeah. And actually I got a wee bit offended when he said it. It's like, I says, no, I wasn't. He goes, we were. He says, do you think about it? We actually were. And you, you forget the person that you were back then before you came to Christ. And actually, he, he was right. He says, people think you're so nice. He says, now, because like, you're a new creature in Christ. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Your sins have been forgiven. But back then, people don't realize just the kind of personality that you actually were. And, um, you know, it hit home to me that actually you had a point. And I didn't care about anybody. I didn't care about myself. I lived or died or anybody else lived or died. And my, my heart was as cold as ice, you could have struck a match off that I didn't care. I didn't have love for anybody or anything. I was totally in, in chains. And I knew because the deeper I get into it, the more enslaved you got. And um, promised A, B, C, and D. And then you're being asked to do certain things. And um, it got this stage where we we're actually planning to, to kill somebody and who actually crossed us. And um, that was happening at the same time as this Christian had come in to my kind of sphere of influence mm -hmm. and was inviting me to church. And so he kind of, this, this battle of, of light and darkness was going on. And this, this inner turmoil began to be 
began to, to strive within me, especially because what I did was, because this guy kept inviting me to go to church, I said, okay, I'll go. But my plan was to go and to curse the church. Yeah. And so me and my number two go to this church. Um, it was in Ballyclare. So we go to this church in Ballyclare. And we go as two Satanists. He's inviting me. He thinks, brilliant. I got the, the Satanist to go to church. He has a whole church praying for us, fasting for us as we go in the doors. You know what I mean? We didn't know this. And uh, we go in. We're in there to curse this church. We're in there cursing at the very start. But then something happens during the service. Imagine we're not in there for anything else, not to get saved, nothing like that there. We go in to curse this place. Yeah. But in that church environment, we have an encounter with the living God. Now, I don't get saved, mm-hmm. but I encounter this goodness. I encounter this Jesus for real, not just like some religious figure, not just in, in a religious sense, but in reality. And I felt that move of the spirit and I, I recoiled from it I didn't want it and I vowed never to go back into church again and I did go to curse it in the middle of it all my, my friend who was there with me he recounts the story as he's I'm there and I'm leader of this coven he's my number two he's scared that I'm going to kill him or something because he begins to feel something too inside and he is scared to look around at me in case I'm going to Get outside when I get outside, I'm gonna do some harm to him. He looks at me and he sees a tear going down the side of my my face. Out of nowhere, this presence of holiness hits me, and I can't deny its reality. But I will leave the church, obviously, I don't get saved, and I, I go back to my old life. I vow never to go back to a church again. Mm-hmm. Back to you, Michael, in case you want to say something there. No, no, I, I love this. I could listen to you all day. And I don't care about how long this episode is. I doubt the listeners will care because it is such a gripping story and it's an honest story. And I remember your friend Alistair saying about that particular church and that he later became a pastor of that church that he visited to, which was incredible. But he recalls yes. that living presence. And people might say, now, those with a skeptical background, well, this is just over glorified Harry Potter kind of style writing. Yeah. It, it, it was very real to you. And people around you noticed it, but then something began to change and you encountered this living God. Yeah. But what happened afterwards? You didn't get saved at that point. Did that encounter stick with you or did you put it aside? And then with your friend who was a Christian, did you just keep hammering him basically for his faith? Or what happened (laughs) to the next part? Good question. No, good question. No, uh, we we left that church and me being the leader in that number two was there as well. And it affected both of us differently, funnily enough, because when I went back, I said, I vowed never to go back into a church again, because I knew if I did, <laughs> I'd be one of those guys who puts their hands up. I had no way, I, I've had enough, I don't want to hear about Jesus ever again. And so I'll go back my old life. But after having no conscience before, I go back into doing rituals and stuff, and all of a sudden, when I'm doing something, like, remember the, the most, one of the most evil like kind of rituals, and all of a sudden, in the middle of what I'm doing, I have a conscience that this is wrong and there's this battle going on within me and the guy who was there he came to the church he looks at me and he sees I don't vocalize it but he sees this battle going on inside him he can sense this battle and of course at the same time we're, we're, we're planning to you know to, to kill somebody at the end of the day and it's this 
simple as I can put it, you know, he crossed us. And so we, we've planned to, to do something, you know, and I'm not proud of the fact that's just the way it was as part of my story. And during the planning fall out there, I had this great battle going on inside of me. Here was this conscience I didn't think I had. I'm a guy who sold the soul, literally sold the soul, the devil in blood. Okay. Done all that, you know, and here's me having this battle to do what was so natural to me and had all this favor with. I had this, this spiritual tug, if you like, in my heart. And I couldn't deny it. And I couldn't deny it. And I, yeah, I go out to pubs and clubs and stuff. You know what I mean? You know, when we weren't doing that, you know, rituals and things, right? You live a normal life. But I would go to a club and they would turn around and go, where's Nige gone? I was out walking the streets. You know what I mean? Drinking drugs just wasn't doing it for me. And this, I was going, is this all there is? And it was under this, this conviction came upon me and I was fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And um, it wasn't easy, but I would force myself to go back and do the rituals against this conviction in my heart. I remember swearing at God, telling him to clear off. I didn't want you. I don't love you. I don't want Jesus. Go away. I don't want you. I mean, I, was, I would swear at God. You know what I mean? Anybody but me, I don't want, I don't want it, I don't want you, you know? And it was, it was me screaming from the depths of my heart, go away. You know, I, want, I want to rebel and do my own thing. But no matter where I went, I always, always likened to that film of a few years ago, probably the 90s, The Fugitive of Harrison Ford. Yeah. And yeah. you may or may not know that if you're listening, but um, class film, brilliant film. And no matter where Harrison Ford goes, he's wrongly accused. Tommy Lee Jones... Is, is the guy who's hunting him down every outhouse and every you know what I mean every every house he is following Harrison Ford and no matter where Harrison Ford goes Tommy Jones is right on his tail and for me that's the way it was with God no matter where I went or whose company I was in God was always there convicting me and I couldn't escape that presence even when I shouted this love kept coming towards me and and it was, I was like, I, was, I don't want to let it in, you know, you know, it, it was, it was difficult for me and the pressure kept building, the pressure kept building. And then my brother got saved out of nowhere. My brother was a fighting man, let's just say he, he was, you know, he had, um, you know, anger and rage and everything else where I went into the occult because of early with her father, he just went to an angry place. He would just knock people out and just go for fights and, you know what I mean? They were beating a fight in his life, but he lost the, the, this fight against uh, rebelling against God. God softened his heart and saved them. And he's a totally changed character. I was going, wow, what happened to him? So I've got this friend who got saved. Then I've got my brothers got saved as well. And it's like the net's closing in, you know, and you feel the pressure. Like all of a sudden, when I had no real Christians around me, oh, here's like two, and they're quite influential as well. And he, was, he started going to Whitewell Church. Uh, on the shore road in Belfast, and um, and then this this pressure was still coming on me, and um, it leads as as I remember planning all this stuff as well, building all the rituals and planning this 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 guy to, to get rid of him basically, you know this this, this fight inside, and um, I'm still rebelling against God, and then I get invited to go to Whitewell, and. Um, you know, this is the beginning of something else. So, do you want to say anything at that point, Michael? No, no. I, I, 
I've heard you, sh you sharing the story before and then leading to that point. When your conscience was convicting you, yeah. did you think that you'll end up getting saved or you're, or were you trying to, to turn to win this fight? Because there's this sort of grab when it comes to the based on being convicted. You can either fight against or let it happen. Were yeah. you in this sort of, okay, I'm a bit tired of fighting, what's this all about? Or I'm going to keep fighting this, even though I'm going to go in the church, I'm not going to listen. So tell us about that time in church when you went in for Yeah, uh, yeah going to wait well. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was I was not going to give in. This is a fight I didn't want to lose at all. But at the same time, I'm under conviction. And the thought kept recurring to me. And it was this thought, I was like, if, if I die, I am going to go to hell. I knew it because, like, I deserve. I know deserved it. Like, and I even, like, you know, sold my soul to the devil in blood. I mean, you know, classic Satanism. You know, black witchcraft. And, I, you know, and it's very, very real, folks, as well. Let me just, you know, say that. And we live in a world where the supernatural is kind of put to one side in a way. Uh, but I can assure you, it is very, very real. And I've had that many supernatural experiences before I even came to Christ. You know, you know, which were not of God, obviously. Very real. But yeah, I was being convicted. I knew if I died, I would I would go to hell. And so I go to Whitewell, not wanting to get saved, really, but going because I, I just I was finding that fight very hard against God, you know, because it's not easy whenever you feel love, love softens you. You know, someone once said you, you can win more people through through honey than you can through vinegar. There's a sweetness about God, and that's there, there's a sweetness. I was in the vinegar, like in, in my neck, you know what I mean. But this sweetness comes along, and it's and taste and see the Lord is good. You 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 couldn't deny the goodness of God. Yet I was rebelling against it to do my own thing, because when you're a Satanist, you live by one rule. It's this: do what thou wilt to be the whole of the law. That's it. That's all there is. Do what you want, and in a way, that's that's today's world philosophy the feels good do it you know but it's actually rooted in opposition to god the world doesn't actually realize that they, that's where it's rooted in and so for me to go to church again i said oh no you know what i mean and i did go and uh, it was a very very warm night and um i went, I went upstairs in the balcony in white well and my brother just got saved not that long ago and i go up and i was a sweltering it was packed out in those days it was the very right back row of the balcony of Whitewell and he did the sermon I couldn't tell what he was preaching about but I just felt the presence of God again like it did in Valley Clare and um Needham Church and um felt convicted and then Pastor McConnell throws out the net like he does you know what it's like Michael he throws out the net and he, and he says this he says there's someone here tonight and it is their last chance and that whole week funnily enough before, this is what pushed me to go into the church that particular week. The thought kept coming back, yes, you're going to go to hell, but also it's your last chance. It's your last chance. And to hear those words from the front again, there's this, this pastor at the front saying, there's someone here tonight, it's your last chance. I was like confirming that that thought I'd been having that entire week and lead up to going to church. Being the rebel that I was, I didn't put my hand up. <laughs> I was still fighting that night. I was still fighting every step of the way, trust me. And I went home and um, eventually in, in my own house, I said, okay, 
I go, I can't fight anymore. And I invited Jesus in uh, at that particular point. So it was monumental for me to do that. And it wasn't easy because of my background either, because of who I was and what I'd done and, and the agreement that I'd made with the enemy. Yes, the blood of Jesus covers us, washed away all of our sins. Beautiful, your new creature in Christ. And began to, to um, you know, I was like a hippie almost when I got saved. I remember going out the next day and going, wow, aren't, aren't the, the colours beautiful in the sky? And look at nature, look at the trees. I was kind of like a tree hugger for, for a few weeks, you know what I mean? Just going, wow, there, were, there was beauty in the world I'd never seen before because my eyes had been opened to, Jesus says, I came to give you not just life, but abundant life, a life with a quality, a life that's fulfilled. And no matter what I tried in the world, it didn't fulfill me. But all of a sudden, when I asked Jesus in, this fulfillment came into my heart. Now, not to say it was easy, because yes, I got saved, and yes, I had faith like a grain of mustard seed, but the enemy fought to get me back after that. So, uh, yeah, I'll pay with that in a wee minute, Michael. And then you want the ad? No, no, I'm just listening, listening away. So you, you, you get saved, you start going to church. Tell us then about your journey in the ministry and how you met. The legend that is Emma Jean. The legend. <laughs> the opening and wheels. Just tell us a bit about that. Sure. I mean, I've got to say, like, even getting saved, it took a while. And I've I, I got to I gotta tell my story. And there, because of what I've been into, I've I got to attack spiritually every night for a good while. But I can never talk about it. I can never open up and share my story. Who, who, who can you tell that you were a Satanist? Who, who could ever understand in ministry? what I have been through and I could never share it or if I did I watered it down completely so it never sounded as bad as what it really was and so I never had deliverance ministry or anything out there I never had someone come pray lay hands on me it never happened to me my friend ultimately got saved as well he became a Christian he got the hands laid on him you know what I mean and he got delivered from everything in his past whereas me I couldn't talk about it and I got this stage where I almost went back to my old life I remember saying, Lord, if you don't enter in, if you don't do something, I'm going to go back because I can't fight this. It's just it's too too big a fight for me. I'm not strong enough. Uh, I was being attacked every single night and everything else, all over and over, every day, every day. And one night I just screamed and cried unto God. I said, if you don't do something, I'm going to go back to life, but I don't want to. I need you. I'm not strong enough. And I screamed and I cried and for about two hours. And then, you know what happened? Nothing. I've seen often. I went to bed that night and I was like, oh, what might I even bother? But during the night, I was like, I was in the presence of God. And it was it was the most amazing thing. I just knew, like Paul says, whether it's in the body or the body, I do not know. I just knew it was in the presence of God. And at that moment, I was like, I was sitting on his knee and this Bible up in front of me. I just remember thinking, this is the creator of the universe. This is God. And a sense of holiness and awe. And here I was in his presence. You just know. You can't deny it. It was there. It's an inner knowing that the holiness was just awesome. And this, this Bible went up on the left-hand page, was highlighted. The word faith was highlighted. It says, son, I'm going to lay faith on your heart. And from that moment, I totally saved. Totally changed. The fight went away. And I had, had, had saving faith, but didn't have living faith that, 
part and God had to step in. So even the faith I have now, it, it God God gave it to me, you know, and it was it's a beautiful thing. So no matter what you're going through, folks, I just say this, God will always meet your need. If you're not strong enough right now, he will be your strength. He will get you through. And if you're a prodigal today, listen, you know, his arms are open and outstretched to you. For me, I love the, the story of the, the, the prodigal son because he comes, he comes to himself in a pig pen, eating pig food. He's in the dirt and says so he comes to himself and he shakes himself and he comes to the father and the father's arms open to him. And that's what happens at that point. And when I came into the presence of God, the father's arms were open to me. And no matter what you've done in life, if you're not saved, if you don't know Jesus, his arms are open to you right now. From that point, totally changed. You know, that faith was there. And no matter what I go through in life, that faith always rises up now inside of me. He laid in my heart. Well, no matter what it is, automatically just comes out. It's his faith he's given me, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyways, yes. So, you know, followed the Lord. And I knew then I was going to be called in the ministry. Did not want it because I'm not an upfront kind of person. Don't like to be a public speaker or any of those things. It's funny how God takes, like, you know what I'm talking yeah. about, don't you? You've been like, walking yeah. in the streets. You know what I'm talking about. And so I didn't, I didn't fancy it at all, but I knew within me, this is the place that God wanted me to be. And so, but I knew it wasn't the right time. And so I just went out and I was just working away and, and, and doing what, what uh, I had to do to survive at that point. And then met Emma Jane, she went to Whitewell, my, my wife-to-be. And um, then a few years later, the Lord asked me to write, said, now's the time for you to put in for, for Bible college. And I did it, and the rest, it says, history. I did three years in Belfast Bible College. I uh, really enjoyed it. It was just something that I needed. I learned so much. And I remember learning, um, you know, how to preach with the Belfast City Mission mm -hmm. and getting outside my comfort zone, going to a place like Kazakhstan and teaching English to, to Muslim extremists, you know, in a field term. Loved all that kind of stuff. And you, you get... To, to develop your character as well. Yeah. And then, you know, um, what happened was I graduated and there were a few opportunities after Bible college to go into the ministry, but there weren't the right ones. And I just said, no, it's, it's not for me. I, I knew God would open the right door for me. And experience, you know what it's like, Michael, you, you've got to wait sometimes the right season with God. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I was, I was waiting. And then there was a place opened up over in Wales and um but i i'd heard about it and i knew there was about two or three young men i mean out to to preach over there and i thought one of them men had, had actually got it over in, in wales and i the lord then said to me listen i want you to put in for it this is like weeks after they put in for it i said lord i'm not doing it this is the wrong way to do things folks just don't uh, we better rebellion probably still there for my old life i think and I, he's changed it out of me as life has went on he's, he's definitely uh, smoothed the, the rough edges in me but back then it was still a little bit there and I said well I'm not doing it because I think someone else has got it they're more well known than me in the church you know they're better preachers than me they've been out there it looks like I'm going to stand on some toes I'm not doing it I did totally the wrong thing no, I never recommend doing this but here's the grace of God folks you know he covers your mistakes mm -hmm. even though I, I refused point blank to do it and we all make wrong turns folks we all sin we all fall short at times of course we do but, you know, um, the, the pastor out there who was going to retire and actually stayed in my mother's guest house 
um, when he got married, he came back to get married, but he was going to retire. He got married later on in life and he's retiring. But he phoned up my mum to see how she was because he, he was still talking to her and stuff. And um, in, the, in the process of the conversation, mm-hmm. he asked my mother, he says, oh, what about your son? What was his name, Nigel? Yes, yes. Was he at Bible college? Yes, yes, he was. And then, then he says, well, tell him to come on over. I'll pay for his, his plane fares. There's no one over here. The two other ones weren't the right fit. And I think your son might be. Tell him to come over. And the rest is say his history. Went over there and I spent 12 years. And then before I went over, me and Emma Jane then got married on the 30th of June. And the very next day after we got married, we moved over to Wales. Emma Jane was 22. Mm-hmm. And I pastor's wife very very young actually we've been older than Emma Jane so um yeah and it's, it's not always easy it's not always straightforward but my goodness God brings you through and you, know, you learn so much in the ministry too yep. and four and a half years ago he brought me back to Northern Ireland and back to be on staff in Whitewell Church mm-hmm. where we reconnected yeah it's, it's incredible I remember you preaching on the Good Friday service uh, it was an incredible message then and a Monday night prayer meeting uh before that and then, you know, the Lord taught you so much in Wales. Yes. Your life is, I'm going to read this first because it's an epitome. I'm reading from the New International Version. As from Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Your life just Amen. reflects a total changed heart by the power and the grace of God. As we come to a close of this episode, and thank you for sharing your your story, your life, your insights, words of encouragement, probably a word in season for many who listen. And for those in that background to close, what would you say to someone who is under that conviction from a similar background, maybe not in the, the left-hand side of witchcraft or the right-hand side, but in the New Age spiritualism, there's so much happening and the world's yeah. ignorant of the supernatural, but Perhaps there's someone like yourself. What would you say to them as we close and before we pray? What would you say to them? There's, there, I would say to them, there, there's nothing so bad and there's no pit so deep. And you know this, this quote, that God's love is not deep or still. His arms aren't you know, long enough to stretch around whatever you've done. His, his grace is amazing. And even though I was you know, dead in my trespasses and sins, I had a heart of stone. You, your quote was beautiful. But as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgression from us, whatever it is, maybe you have a background of paramilitary, maybe you have a background of just like you're atheist or you're agnostic or you just you just don't know or you're you're maybe you're just religious or you know you're spiritual, whatever background you have, mm-hmm. kind of say that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. The devil, he, he's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He comes to, he seeks out to, to kill and destroy. He wants to take away your peace. Mm-hmm. But Jesus came to give you a peace that passes all understanding. To listen to, to bring you into his family, to accept you in the beloved. And there's something beautiful in that. To, to know that his arms are outstretched. I touched on it earlier on. That's the heart of God. His arms are outstretched to you. Why don't you just, Take a moment, you know what I mean, and find out more about this Jesus has changed my life, you know, changed me totally. Mm-hmm. And more than that, 
he's become my friend. You know what I mean? You know, we become friends of God. We walk with him. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's a relationship. It's not just religion. It's not dry. It's living. And it's, it's, it's something that will literally change your heart, your way of thinking as well. But because that God is love. Remember that God loves you. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. I'll leave it there. I'll be preaching all night. Well, listen, I would listen. I would love to listen to it all night because the gospel inspires me. And I love what you said about the father's arms stretched open. Because in Romans nine fourteen, it talks about long have I stretched up my hand to disobedient people. And what he means by that, it's like a child smacking away the dad's. I don't want you. Know, I don't want you. But notice, he says, I didn't take away my hand. And for those listening, Amen. I'm still there. That hand's still there, and it's nail pierced. He took away your sin and shame, and he will take your hand and say, it's forgiven. Welcome to my family. So we're going to pray together. And if you want to become a Christian, ask Christ into your heart, repent of your sin, and get plugged into a local church. And I'll put Pastor Nigel's uh, link to his Facebook page and his broadcast that he does on a Tuesday at 8 p.m. And if you want any questions or perhaps you're from that background, just want to chat to them about a few things such as deliverance or or whatever, I'm sure he'd be okay to get in touch and everything will be said. He's done the strictest confidence. He is a man of his word, a man of integrity. So we're going to pray. So let's pray together. And if this is you, I'm just going to repeat a simple prayer. And I'll pray as well for others as well. But just repeat this prayer after me and mean it with all your heart. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming into this world to die for me, a guilty, hell-deserving sinner. I rebelled from you. I sinned against you. But Lord, you welcomed me into your arms. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. I ask you to save me and to keep me and to guide me. Help me to serve you. Help me to love you because you first loved me. Help me to walk with you. I trust you for all my days are in your hands. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And for those who just need an encouragement, Father, I pray for those who are listening, who need hope, Lord, I pray that they'll find hope in this story, that they would share this, that they would realize that there's nothing too hard for you to do. Perhaps they've got family members whose hearts are hardened, Lord, that you can change their heart. As it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, that you would change their spirit, that you would give them a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So, Lord, I pray, would you do the miraculous in the listeners' lives? In Jesus' name. Amen. Nigel, thank you very much for coming on Stories of Hope. Thank you for listening, everyone. Until next week, take care, stay safe, and look forward to sharing with you the next episode. God bless.